0: Good morning, church family. I'm Kyle and I serve on our missions team here at Wheaton Bible Church. Next Sunday night, the traditional worship team will be leading us in a night of singing Christmas carols and focusing on the hope that we have in Jesus. Everyone is invited to join on December 12th at 6 p.m. to sing your favorite Christmas hymns as well as maybe learn some new songs. This is a great opportunity to worship together while reflecting on our Savior's birth as we approach the end of the year. And church, as we continue in the Advent season, we want to join together as one church family in prayer. You can find our guided prayer for this Advent season at wheatonbible.org advent. Also alongside the individual prayer, we are gathering on Wednesday nights throughout December in the East Worship Center to pray together as we set our hearts and minds on Christ and the wonderful gift of his presence. Join us this Wednesday, December 8th at 7 p.m. That's all we have for today. Church family, thank you for spending your weekend with us. We hope you have a wonderful week. We
1: seek in the midst of our darkness. And in this dark month of December, in our fallen and often dark world, And in the dark places of our hearts, Jesus shines brightly. Let us worship God for his gift of a Savior this morning. I encourage us to come to him humbly in worship, fully aware of our need for a Savior, and fully aware of his open arms for us to shine his light into our darkness. Paul writes... God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and worship. <laughs>
2: Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, never ceases. The mercies of the Lord never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. As we continue in our Advent journey together this week, we focus on hope. The last two years have been marked with change, uncertainty, sorrow, loss, suffering, strife, division, anger, fear. And anxiety for many of us. It is easy to be discouraged in this world. We know and we feel that something is missing. But the story is not over. Hope is a powerful weapon against discouragement. The world needs hope. We need hope. And hope is not just a concept, it is a person. Hope is Jesus, the Son of God. Writer Anne Voss Camp says, and I quote Hope isn't thinking something will get better. Hope is about believing that someone better is already here. End of quote. Hope is the confident expectation and joyful anticipation that he will do everything he has promised because of everything he's already done. The resurrection and restoration of all things has already begun. Redemption is underway, and guess what? It cannot be stopped. So, we hope. This reenactment of our anticipation of the birth of Christ is a yearly reminder of the profound, eternal, Unchangeable, unshakable hope we have because of the incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us. He is a God who is not removed from our suffering, who instead stepped into our brokenness and overcame the darkness by his light to bring us to salvation and to restore all things in romans 15 12 through 13 paul quotes isaiah isaiah says the root of jesse will come even he who arises to rule the gentiles in him will the gentiles Now, now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is Jesus, both his presence now and in the promise for his second coming. We light the second advent candle to remind us to hope in Jesus.
1: Let's stand.
3: Good morning, familia. Today I have a fun update to give you. If you remember, uh, back in October, it seemed like it was months ago, uh, but back in October, we called the church to give to a special project. We called to give... Um, beyond and above what we usually give to the church to support missionaries and ministry partners that are both working locally and in the different 52 nations uh, of the, uh, that we support in the world. If you remember, back in October, by the grace of God, in one week, the church gave five times the amount that we set out to, to, uh, to collect. Now, today it is my pleasure and blessing to uh, share with you a little bit of the reactions of the missionaries and ministry partners when they heard that we were gonna help them and support them in their ministries. Take a look at this, please.
4: Hola Vic Leslie, como están? Saludos!
0: We have good news for you today. So we took your initial proposal. And we presented it to our congregation at Missions Fest this year. And had presented it with a goal to say, we would like to split between all these partners if in one week of Missions Fest, our church could um, give generously and offer $50,000 total to be split up amongst all those partners. But our church family responded with more than five times that goal. Oh. <laughs> oh <my. laughs> That's incredible. We don't just want to do the first proposal. We asked you for a second proposal. And so Wheaton Bible Church, our congregation, is just so glad um, to be sending for Hope for Life this week um, an extra above and beyond gift of $30,000. Um, for the ministry and what God is doing, hope for
4: life. We're going to direct $30,000 there with Kids Alive in the
2: Republic Dominicana
3: gloria a Dios. So, uh, gloria Dios. Amen. Thank you. We <laughs> give God all the glory.
2: Gracias.
1: Muchísimas gracias.
3: Listen, when we hear things like that, it is so easy, so easy to forget that this was the Lord's doing, that the glory is for God, that He has been the one working in you and through you, and that to Him and Him alone is the glory, and to remember that this is what the Lord does every time we worship Him, not just by singing and not just by obeying, but when we, uh, when we worship Him through the way we give. So I want to thank you for participating in this. I want to thank you to respond to what the Lord is doing. And I want to invite you to continue to do that. As you know, this is the last part of the year. This is when the church collects uh, or, or receives the most of our of our um, of our offerings to fulfill uh, to get to where we get uh, where we need to get to finish the year well. Uh, so I want to invite you to continue to give, to continue to pray. Three ways to give: you could always go to our website, biblechurch.org/slash/give. You could always leave your offerings as you leave the building through those doors. There there are boxes by the entrances, um, and you could always send the checks uh, to the church directly if you are worshiping with us at home. Amen, amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that what we heard today is an evidence of your grace, and it's an evidence of your power, and it's an evidence of your generosity. Lord, we got to participate in this because you are a generous God. You gave us your Son, and out of that, we want to be generous to others. We are grateful, Lord, that you are allowing us to participate in what you are doing in our local communities and around the world. Lord, we are grateful that we have this picture, this vision, that the kingdom is much bigger than just what we have here. We are grateful, Lord, what you're doing through our missionary, uh, through our missionaries and ministry partners. I pray, Lord, that you continue to use us for the glory of your name, the well-being of your people and to contribute to the mission of God. Lord, I know that this is a season also for many of grief and pain. We pray for your comfort, for your presence, for your peace. And at the same time, Lord, we rejoice. Because as we heard before, we are people of hope. We know that you already came and you are already making all things new and that one day you will come back and finish what you already started in Jesus Christ. So as we approach Scripture this morning, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you speak to us, that you make it clear who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he came to give. For those of us that are doubting, Lord, you make this clear. For those of us that we already know these truths, reminds us. For those of us that are not convinced yet, convince us. We pray for the presence of the Spirit as we open up a Scripture. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we all say, Amen. All right, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you that don't know me, and I want to welcome all of you again, those of you that are worshiping here with us, or worshiping with us uh, online, we are so glad that we get to celebrate Advent together. Today, we are doing the second part of our Advent series, uh, and we're going through a list of names found in Isaiah chapter 9, who talks about who Jesus is, and why is it that He wanted to come, and why is it that He needed to come. So as I mentioned in my prayer, if you are already a believer... The reason why you need to hear this is because you need to be reminded all the time, you need to be desperately reminded all the time of who Jesus is and why he came and why he's so and so wonderful. If you are someone that is exploring Christianity or somehow are trying to reconcile with Christianity, my invitation is that you stick around. Because I think that you will find Jesus just as amazing as the rest of us. With that in mind then, how about if we stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 9. Today we're reading verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump to verses 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and then verses 6 and 7. If you're still here, can you please say, I'm here. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord, starting in verse 1. You have enlarged the nations and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when diving the plunder. Let's read verse 6 together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What we're doing is giving you statements or declarations that talk about Christmas. Last week, the statement was, Christmas is both, uh, is both the most offensive and the most wonderful message ever proclaimed. This week, the statement is, Christmas is about the wonderful uh, counselor of truth and tears. Christmas is about the wonderful counselor of truth and tears. So the first question we got to ask this morning is, why is it that Jesus is called the wonderful counselor? Now, I don't know how many of you guys have ever been in a counseling session, whether it's clinical counseling or spiritual or pastoral counseling, or if you have ever been in both locations, which are both good. um, I think that one thing is for sure. I think that one. if if anybody knows anything about counseling, one thing is for sure. The only way counseling works is if you are willing to acknowledge that you need it. The only way... Did you guys hear that? The only way counseling works, clinical counseling or biblical counseling or spiritual counseling, the only way counseling works is if you first acknowledge... If you're willing to acknowledge that you need it, any counselor will tell you that. The only way counseling is effective is when the person knows that he or she needs it. Now, if you remember last week, I opened up the service for those of you guys that were here. I opened up the sermon um, explaining the context of this text. And when you read chapter 8, the, the last verses of chapter 8, and you start in, in, in chapter 9, verse 1, you'll find, verse, verses 1 and 2, you'll find some of these words. Um, there will be no more gloom, and then he talks about people in distress, and then he talks about people walking in darkness, and then he tells you about people living in the land of deep darkness. And the reason why the text starts like this is to give us this description of what it means to live a life without Jesus or ignoring Jesus. This is a description of people that are struggling both emotionally and spiritually. And if we are vulnerable enough, and if we recognize that that's a description of who we have been and we can be or or we are, that's the only way that we come to the conclusion and say... Yeah, I need Jesus. It is only when we recognize that's a reality of who we are, who, who we have been, who we are, or we could be, that's the only reason that we can actually explain why it is that we need Jesus. The problem with that, though, is that we are in a part of the world, and we are part of a society, in which recognizing that you're vulnerable is a sign of weakness. So the message that we hear all the time is that you're not supposed to be vulnerable, that you're not supposed to be weak, that you're not supposed to actually recognize that there's something wrong inside of us. We are part of a society and a culture that says that we're supposed to be mentally and spiritually strong all the time. That if you want to make it in life, you have to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually strong. That if you don't have that, you are never going to conquer. That, if, that is not, if you're not there yet, you have to fake it until you make it. Have you guys ever heard of that? What is interesting, the problem with that, though, is that you can fake it all you want, and it doesn't mean that you're going to make it. So what the society offers, and what some of us do, and I say some of us because I don't think this is true for everybody, but like 99% of you, The tendency, when we recognize that we have this void inside, either we try to hide our brokenness, or we try to distract from our brokenness, or we try to pretend that it doesn't exist. That is the name of the game nowadays. You hide, you distract, or you pretend. You fake it until you make it. And I think that we would all agree that none of those things work. And yet we continue to use them. I think that all of us would agree that even as as much as you hide, and as much as you run, and as much as you pretend, when you get to a quiet place and you're not surrounded by anybody and you don't have to pretend anything, the pain, the struggle, the gloom, the distress, the darkness, still there. And it goes from bad to worse. Unless we run to the only one that can fix it. A few years ago, I read a a piece that George Carlin, the controversial comedian, George Carlin wrote. He he called this piece the paradox of our time. I believe that this was written about 20 years ago, if I'm not wrong. 15 to 20 years ago. And this is what he says, and I'm just going to give you a fragment of it. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers wider freeways but narrower viewpoints we spend more but have less we buy more but enjoy less we have bigger houses and smaller families more conveniences but less time we have more degrees but less sense more knowledge but less judgment more experts yet more problems more medicine but less wellness we drink too much smoke too much spend too recklessly laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. He's not even a Christian. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to life, not life to years. I think that he was right. I actually think that this is a description of what it means to be a broken human being in a broken world. This is the perfect description of someone that is emotionally broken and spiritually broken. And this is precisely the reason why we need a counselor. Now, this is family, right? How many of you fall into one of the categories he mentioned by show of hands? All right, thank you. Is there anyone here who does not fall into any of those categories so we can pray for you? (laughs) If that is true, then we all need to hear this sermon. Let me give you two reasons, just in case you're wondering if this is for you. Let me give you two more reasons why is it that you have to pay attention to Jesus and him as our wonderful counselor. Number one, without him, and I'm going to be blunt about this, without him, you will become a cynical, pessimistic, bitter, lose trust person, and eventually a person that becomes hard of heart. Without a wonderful counselor, this is what happens. We lose our humanity. And number two, unless we recognize that we struggle with this, that we are broken, living in a broken world, then there's no need to seek for help. This is the reason why the text we read this morning in verse 6 is so important. For to us, a child is born. This is the reason why Jesus came. To us, a son was given. This is the reason why the Father gave us his son. This is the reason why Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor. Now, I want you to notice there for a second, when we were doing the scripture reading together, that the the, the names given to Jesus come in pairs. So, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Two names. And commentators point out that the reason why Jesus receives two names in each one of those, even though it's kind of a compound name, is because the author, the writer of the Bible, wants us to know that Jesus is both completely God and completely man. 100% God and 100% man. So, for example, the name that we're looking at today, Wonderful Counselor, tells us that Jesus is a counselor like any other human counselor except that he's God-man counselor. Therefore, he's not just like another counselor. He's the God-man counselor, completely God and completely man. And the meaning of those two words, wonderful and counselor, are extremely important. So for example... The word wonderful can be translated as someone that does supernatural things or as someone that is supernatural and someone that when he speaks he performs miracles. I want you to keep that in mind because I'm going to go back to that and the word counselor is someone that gives supernatural wise advice and that that counselor is a divine teacher and executes great plans. He's not just a regular guy. He's not just a person that you pay $150 for 15 minutes of your time. He's this divine counselor that speaks supernatural, that does wonderful things, that performs miracles, that speaks in ways like nobody else speaks. This is a description of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. It actually tells you that Jesus is the ultimate counselor, the wonderful counselor, the counselor of counselors. Interesting that the New Testament, when it talks about Jesus in those terms, it uses the terms uh, parakletos, which is also a compound word. Para means someone that stands right right next to you, and cletos means someone that speaks to you even more, that yells at you. This is the reason why I raise my voice every now and then. I have a reason, biblical reason, why to raise my voice every now and then. My Savior does it. Now, if that is true, and the Bible says it is, then Jesus, as a wonderful counselor, as the wonderful counselor that is completely God and completely man, every time he tells you something, something supernatural happens. Listen, church, every time we open His Word, something supernatural happens. Whether you see it or not, transformation happens, miracles happen. Every time Jesus speaks, something happens. See, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity that was also present at creation, at the beginning of creation. So the same God that created the world by the power of his word is the same Jesus that speaks to us through his word. Every time God speaks, something happens. This is the same reason why we have Jesus in the Gospels, speaking and nature submits to it. You guys remember a couple of years? I think there was a hurricane coming this way, and I heard this pastor Please forgive him. Heard this pastor go in front of the ocean, speaking, commanding the hurricane to walk away. And I'm like, brother, you're not Jesus. (laughs) That only nature only submits to Jesus. This is the same reason why Jesus spoke to the sick and people got healed by speaking. This is the same reason why Jesus commanded demons to walk away and they run. You try it, and it will not work. It has to be with the authority, presence, and power of Jesus. If Jesus is the wonderful counselor, and he's completely God and completely man, he knows how to speak, when to speak, and why to speak. Therefore, Jesus. every time Jesus speaks, there's divine perfection. If Jesus is the wonderful counselor, and he's completely God and completely man, his wise advice is not wisdom-based on experience, res- research, or accumulation of information. That's our wisdom. Jesus' wisdom is divine wisdom. It comes from the omnipotent God, the God that has all power. Everything that says comes from the omniscient God, the God that knows it all. Everything that Jesus says comes from the eternal God, the God that has always existed. Everything that Jesus says comes from the perfect, wise God, the one that knows how everything works. See, nobody can speak to you that way but Jesus. And if Jesus is the wonderful counselor, completely God and completely man, then whatever Jesus says, You need to hear. I need to hear. So listen, he tells you stuff that you already know. And yet you need to hear it again. Amen? He tells you stuff that you don't know about yourself of other things, and yet you need to hear it. You need to hear it. He tells you stuff that you did not expect to hear, and yet you need to hear. And he tells you stuff... That you're pretending that you don't know, but that you need to hear. I'm yet to find a man that has committed adultery and says, that is committing adultery and looks at the woman and says, wait, wait, you're not my wife. Never seen that. I never see a person that lies and says, I didn't know I was lying. Like we all know. Don't you know? Don't we all know when we do something wrong? And yet, even if we pretend that we don't, Jesus speaks to the very things that we need to hear. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, and I know I say that every week, is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. That talks about the Word of God. And he says that the Word of God is alive and active. It's always doing something. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates even the dividing, even to the dividing soul and spirit. And it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus as a wonderful counselor, when he speaks, something happens inside of us because he is the word of God. When Jesus speaks, his words go deeper and more profound than anything else because it is sharp and penetrates. When Jesus speaks, he confronts us with the reality of who we are because he judges. He reveals the secrets of our hearts. And he brings to light what we don't want want to see, but we need to see. Or that we need to remember... That we don't want anybody else to see. Because it uncovers everything laid bare out there. Now, that word, laid bare, is an important word because it's a picture word in the, in the original. And it's, it paints a picture of an animal that has been sacrificed and the neck is exposed. And he tells you that every time Jesus speaks as the, the wonderful counselor, he exposes what is in there that you sometimes cannot even see. Can you see why Jesus as this wonderful counselor is so important? Without him speaking as a counselor, we become cynical, pessimistic, bitter, lose trust, and eventually become hard in our hearts. I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but I made this commitment before the Lord many years ago. So I hope you know that I'm another sinner just like you. So I'm not doing this because I'm better than anybody. The only reason why I'm doing this is because of the grace of God. But I made this commitment before the Lord. And by God's grace, it has truly changed my life. It doesn't matter how many times I have sinned. It doesn't matter the things I have done. It doesn't matter the things I've said or thought or the motivations I have had. I always come back to the Word. Even when I know that I don't deserve it. Even when I feel guilty, or feel shame, or feel like if God is not for me. You know why? Because every time I approach the wonderful counselor, he speaks into my need. He speaks to you. He does something supernatural. He transforms your heart. Even, if you, even when you can't see it. This is the hope we have with our loved ones that have walked away from Jesus, you know? If they grew up in Christianity, if they were exposed to the Word of God, I have relatives like that. I pray that the Lord make His, His Word alive once again and that they come to Him. This is the reason why we call Jesus the Wonderful Counselor. But the second question is, why would would we call Jesus the counselor of truth and tears? Now, this I know then, again, that the best counselors are the ones that have developed the ability of confronting and comforting at the same time. So I don't know how many of you guys by profession are counselors, but if you are a counselor, you know that part of your job is to confront when it's required and to bring comfort when it's required. And that a good counselor knows the difference between those two. The same thing for me as a pastor and as a shepherd, if you will. I have the responsibility to confront with the truth and to comfort when people weep. The best counselors may exercise the discernment of knowing when to speak and what to say to confront truth and when to exercise compassion or exercise comfort, bring comfort. Now, I'm sure that you know that the Old Testament, when it talks about about these three types of leaders, if you will. Leaders chosen by God to help lead and guide his people. And he talks about being a prophet, a priest, or a king. The king was appointed by God to lead his people. The prophet played the role of the voice of God, represented um, God to people. He spoke the truth of God to people. That's the prophet. The priest represented the people before God. This is the one that will make sacrifices on behalf of God's people. He will be the one pleading for God's people, and he will be the one that understood God's people because he was one just like them. In other words, he knew how to weep with the ones that were weeping. The beautiful thing about the New Testament, though, is that it shows us that Jesus fulfills all those three roles. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. Now, next week, we're going to talk about as Jesus as the ultimate king, so come back, okay? When we talk about Jesus as mighty God, the second name that we have in our list. But today, I want to show you how is it that Jesus exercises as this wonderful counselor, how is it that he fulfills the two roles of prophet and priest. Jesus is the counselor of comfort of confrontation and at the same time the counselor of comfort. Jesus is the counselor of truth and at the same time the counselor of tears. And because Jesus is God, he does that better than anyone else. And he does that like no one else. Now let me show you a couple of passages where I get this from. Why would I say that Jesus is the counselor of truth? Hebrew chapter four, for example, it says, that we do not a high priest, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin." I don't have the time to explain the entire text entire verse which is a beautiful verse but but i want i I want you to focus on the first part the text says that jesus is the ultimate high priest that he is the one that represents us before the father that he is the priest that knows us and knows how to empathize with us now the word empathize is extremely important for us as well it is crucial that you understand why is it that the Bible chose the word empathize to describe who Jesus is and what Jesus does and how Jesus behaves. The literal translation of the word empathize means to suffer with, to suffer together with someone, to suffer with the misfortune. So for those of us that are in distress and gloom and fear, When we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus suffers with us. Jesus suffers with you. That's the difference between empathize and sympathize. Sympathize is just this feeling, and I'm sorry for you, I feel sorry for you. Empathize tells you, I really, really feel sorry for you, and feel it with you. This is one of the reasons why, for example, the Gospels talks about Jesus as a man of compassion. The word compassion in the original, uh, the word compassion in English is a, it's a, it's a compound word as well. It comes from come, which means with passion, Christ's suffering. Listen up, church. Compassion is Christ with me in suffering. Meaning that the word compassion and empathize are synonyms. Now, I want you to remember this. When the Bible talks about Jesus as a man of compassion, it talks about someone that feels your pain profoundly. That there's an internal movement of the emotional life of Jesus and the nature of Jesus when he sees his people suffer from within. Therefore, when you suffer, you never suffer alone. If you're a Christian, Jesus suffers with you. He feels for you, and he feels with you. Because he's the God of comfort, he's the priest of priests, he's the counselor of tears. Now, let me look at, another, let me show you another text that talks about as Jesus as a counselor of truth. And the text we're about to read comes from the event of the transfiguration. If you guys remember, Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, they go up to a mountain and they're about to pray. And when they're praying over there, when Jesus is praying over there, Elijah shows up, and Moses shows up, and then they disappear. And then God the Father speaks, and the disciples hear him. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 35. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is God the Father, this is my son who I have chosen. Listen to him. Can you say listen to him? This is God the Father saying to the disciples so they could transfer the message to the rest of us. My voice is His voice. His voice is my voice. When you listen to what He says, you're listening to me. When you listen to what He's saying, what He says is the word of God Almighty, God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit. This is the reason why we need Jesus, not just for us As the counselor of tears, but the counselor of truth. Because Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, defines reality. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not your experience. What defines reality is what Jesus says. And Jesus, as a wonderful counselor, also defines truth. Not your experience, not your emotions, not culture, not society. Jesus defines what is truth. Therefore, Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, tells you what is objective and what is subjective. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, the counselor of truth. Now, most of us are divided into one of these two. Most of us are people of truth or people of tears. Most of us will divide, we'll pick one of those two. So for the sake of just knowing one another, how many of you guys are more into the truth part, the fixers? Raise your hand. May God have mercy on you. How many of you guys are more like in the, in, the, in, a, in the side of tears, that you have more like compassion and you feel with people? Can you raise your hand? Now, it's so interesting that the group is almost divided in half. You know why? Because we need One another. Jesus, though, is the only person that has them both. And I want to show you the best example in Scripture of that. I've used that with you years ago. At least with the... Yeah, I, I used this with you years ago, but I want to show it to you again. This is the interaction between Jesus and Martha and Mary after Lazarus passed away. So I want to show you how Jesus interacts as a wonderful counselor of truth and tears First with, first with Martha. So in John chapter 11, verse 21, uh, Martha runs to Jesus when, they, when he comes to see what's happening and he says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And someone might say, man, Jesus is so insensitive. Doesn't he get that these poor sisters are in the midst of darkness, distress, gloom, and fear? Doesn't he get that she's suffering? But can you see what Jesus is doing with this lady? Jesus knows the longings of our hearts. Let's not forget that this is Jesus that is completely man and yet completely God. Jesus knows exactly what Martha needs. So when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, even though your brother have died, believe in me, I have the power to bring him back to life. And even if I don't, one day he will resurrect. Truth. What Martha needed the most at that time was truth. But now I want you to see how he deals with Mary. John chapter 11, verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Didn't you hear that before? The same expression that Martha used, word by word. But look at how Jesus consoles her. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. And verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Jesus suffering with the ones that suffer. Jesus weeping with the ones that weep. Have you ever been in a funeral? Sometimes it's better not to say anything. Just be there. Have you ever been with somebody that is experiencing extreme pain? Sometimes it's better not to quote verses, you know? It's just to be there. And sometimes you need to say what God says. Let me make a side note here. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be family. When we love one another enough to speak truth when we have to and to weep when we have to. Where did we learn that from? The wonderful counselor. Distress or worry? He knows what to say and when to weep with you. Because he knows what you long for. Fear and anxiety? He knows what to say and how to weep with you. Do you know why? Because he knows what you long for. Gloom or discourage? He knows what to say and when to whip with you because he knows what you long for. Your job and my job is to run to him, is to cling to him because only him, in him we find what we truly long for. The only way we can give that to one another is when we learn that from him. Let me finish with this before we go into communion. This week, one of our brothers here at church uh, sent me this article about this woman. That is a speaker, international advocate for people with disabilities, a writer, over 50 books written. Uh, And she herself is a person uh, with disabilities. And when she describes herself, she describes as someone that receives, uh, this is what she says, um, describes Jesus as the one pumping compassion into my wounded soul. Now, I told you that the word wonderful can be translated as supernatural or miracle maker, if you will. But there's another translation for the word wonderful, which is beautiful or sufficient and fulfilling. And this woman with paralysis, since the 70s, has experienced Jesus, the truth of Jesus, and the compassion of Jesus, the tears of Jesus, like probably none of us have. And she had found this Jesus wonderful, beautiful, sufficient, and fulfilling. This wonderful counselor. And this is what she says. It sounds incredible, but I really would rather be in in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than to be on my feet without him. That's a crazy thing to say. And yet, so true. It is better to be a disabled disabled person with Jesus than to be completely healed without him. This is the whole irony of this, though. That the wonderful counselor, the counselor of truth and tears, the one that suffers with us, When he was in gloom, distress, and fear, there was no one to suffer with him. You remember the two big events before the crucifixion? Or one before the crucifixion and then the crucifixion? One at Gethsemane, in the midst of agony and distress and fear, sweating blood, he reaches out to his friends to pray with him and maybe to pray for him. And they fell asleep. No one to suffer with the one that suffers. And then at the cross, as he's nailed, bleeding to death, crying out to the Father for help. With the words, why have you forsaken me? Seeking for the word of his Father and the compassion of his Father. And he gets nothing. Silence, no words. Loneliness, no compassion. No one to suffer with him. Why? So we have the guarantee that we're never going to have to suffer by ourselves. Because he took our place. He took what we deserve now, you and I. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're never, ever, ever going to be alone in your sufferings. You get that. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you would always, always, always have you with Him. Uh, You would always have Him speaking to you through His Spirit, through His Word, in the midst of trouble. He would always tell you what you need to hear. The one that suffered with us suffered by himself. So you and I never have to. And this is the reason why we're going to celebrate Communion once again so i'm going to ask you to please grab your cup if you have placed your faith in jesus christ this is for you this is a celebration for christians if you haven't placed your faith in jesus christ i want to invite you to know jesus as this wonderful counselor Did you know that part of the reason why we must celebrate communion is because in communion we remember everything that Jesus said. I am for you. I am am with you. I will suffer with you. I will never leave you alone. I stay with you until the end of the world. How do we know that that is true? Because he died and resurrected. Because he surrendered his body and shed his blood. Listen up, church, so that in his brokenness, we are never alone in our brokenness. And that's why we celebrate communion. Because he suffered, so you don't have to suffer by yourself. So I'm going to ask you to please remove the first uh, cover of your cup. I want you to hold the bread in your hand. And this is what the word of the Lord says. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. And I'm going to ask you to remove the second cup, the second cover. And this is what the word says. After supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, you may participate. There's one more thing to be said about communion. Right, right after Jesus said this, Paul says, in verse 26, first uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what that means? That Jesus made a commitment to us to be with us, to speak to us, and to suffer with us. Until he takes us home. Until he comes back and makes everything new again. Every time we participate in communion, we remember that that is true. You're never going to be alone. And he will take you home. And when he takes you home, no more gloom, no more distress, no more fear. No more suffering. Just beautiful and perfect communion with our Father. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the beautiful reality of our wonderful counselor. Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, that you know how to speak, when to speak, what to say, and when just to weep. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that today we may be able to see and embrace and believe that even more, because we know that one day this will finish when you take us home, and that along the way you will continue to speak, to suffer with us, to be with us. Lord, please make that happen. Lord, please allow us to see it and believe it. And for those of us that are still exploring Christianity, Lord, please bring them to you. So they may find you wonderful, fulfilling, enough, satisfying. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says...
1: truly an astonishing fact, something who would have thought that the God of the universe would do such a thing, right? Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the last song we're about to learn is printed in your worship order if you want to follow along, and it answers this question that we've been talking about all day. What child is this born to us at Christmas? This is our God. Let's stand together.
3: your God. That's your God. During this season of Advent, we want to emphasize prayer because we want you to experience the Lord, your God. Therefore, I want to invite you, if you haven't signed up yet for our prayer, uh, Advent prayer uh, weeks, look into the uh, QR code in front of you, scan it, click on it, you will receive prayers for the entire week of Advent. And because we also want to walk in communion with our God, I want to invite you to come and join us in prayer on Wednesday nights in the East Worship. It will be a wonderful time for us to be before and in communion this amazing God we have, the wonderful Counselor, the child that was given to us. Amen? Amen? Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace and hope. And the church says, have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you.